Psalm 32. Um, so this summer, if you're new with us um, or visiting, we, we are taking a um, basically one psalm every week, just kind of working our way through it for the summer. Obviously, there's like, you know, 12 or 13 Sundays in a summer. Uh, there's 150 psalms. So we're not going to get through the whole thing. Uh, we're, we're essentially, what we're trying to do is just kind of cherry pick the ones that really kind of point us to Jesus. And all of them point us to Jesus to one degree or another. Because um, the entire New Testament, Old Testament rather, points us to Jesus. Uh, but uh, there are some psalms that just really pop, you know, and they're very, very, very profound there. So Psalm 32 is one of those. And to be honest, I, I was actually going to be preaching, I don't remember which one, I think the 28th or something. And I decided kind of halfway through the week, I was like, you know what? No, I think 32 is better. Um, not better, obviously, but, but, I really, but I was really moved by it. And I hope that it'll be encouraging to you uh, this, this morning. Um, so here's, here's where we're at. In Psalm 32, each psalm stands alone. Each psalm is a, essentially a song. It's a, it's a poem. It's something that was written as a way of worshiping as a congregation in the people of Israel's uh, gatherings. And so it was essentially their hymn book. I don't know if you, you're pro- most of you are old enough to remember hymn books, um, but uh, I just barely remember hymn books. I think we were, you know, we had them, but they were just collecting dust in the, in the pockets of, of the chairs. Actually, these chairs. Did you know that this came from, these came from my home church? Back, you know, so I heard, I sat in those chairs as a little child and listened to the gospel. And we had hymn books in those pockets. And, uh, and uh, yeah, we didn't use them much, but we had them. So anyways, a hymn book is just a collection of songs before there was projection and that kind of fun thing. So that's essentially what the Psalms are. It's a book of 150 songs uh, or poems that could be read or sung in worship. And uh, what we have here is one that is just incredible. It is just extolling the the amazing kindness and forgiveness of our great God. And we know that Jesus Christ is the ultimate fulfillment of the words in this psalm, um, as it'll become pretty clear as we go through it. But let's just start here at the beginning, and we'll read the first couple verses. Here's what it says. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. This this psalm, uh, like most of the psalms, begins in the first couple of lines, uh, setting up the, the whole psalm, setting up the, the theme, the concept, the idea for the whole psalm. And, and so this is really a phenomenal beginning. It says, blessed. Now, blessed can also be translated joyful, happy. Um, I don't really like the word happy very much because it, it kind of denotes more of a like circumstantial thing. Whereas joy or joyful uh, can, can, you know, kind of go beyond circumstances. Um, but it, ha- it carries that meaning. Blessed is not a word that we use a whole lot in that context, but it, that's what it means. So it, this could be read, joyful, happy is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. In other words, what David is writing here is this, that 
joy is the product of a forgiven life. Joy becomes the product of a life that's been forgiven. And, and we're going to just unpack this. We're going to spend a lot of our time in these first couple verses because I think that these, these verses need to be unpacked. And what's interesting here is that David uses three terms to, de- to describe sin and, and the effects of our sin, and then three terms to describe forgiveness. And, and so let's just take, first let's just focus on kind of the, the negative side of this. Let's focus on the words that are used to describe sin and then we'll, and, and what those are kind of pointing us to, because they're all synonyms. They, they all mean the same thing, but they have different points of emphasis. But, the, but I want, what I want us to understand is that this psalm is not ultimately about our sin. It's about forgiveness. We have to set up the, the, the tone, though, first, right? Because we, we won't appreciate the forgiveness that is offered to us in Jesus unless we first understand the depth of our sinfulness. That has to come first. It just has to. Uh, Or else we'll we'll just assume we're decent, good, unproblematic people, and therefore, why do we need to be forgiven? We, We need to address first that issue of our sin. So look at the first word here that it's that's used to describe it. He uses the word transgression. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven. So transgression what is that? What does that mean? What's the, the emphasis that on there? It is, it is really this. Trans, a transgression is a, uh, an act of open rebellion. See, we all have a God who has given us um, commands and responsibilities. And, and, and those commands and responsibilities have been rebelled against by every single human heart starting with Adam and Eve and and tracing all the way through to us, we are all rebellious. We look at the God of the universe, the God who created us and all things, and we say to him, I don't want you, I don't need you, and we spit in his face. That's what a transgression is. It's open rebellion against our God. That's a bad thing, right? It's not a place we want to be. We don't want to be transgressors, but we are. Let's look at the second word, and then we'll start looking at, uh, we'll look at the first three and then look at the positive words here. But the second word is simply sin. That's at the end of verse one, whose sin is covered. Sin is a, a word that means to miss the mark. It's actually a term used in archery. Um, and so if you think about the mark, it's the target. And uh, a sin is when you draw the bow and you shoot the arrow and it doesn't just miss the bullseye, it misses the target entirely. Like, like when I shoot bows and arrows, it just hits in the ground, you know? And it's like, you're so short. You come so short of the target. The, the idea behind the word sin is missing the mark of God's glory and perfection. And we don't just miss it by a little bit. We completely miss it. This is what uh, Paul writes about in the book of Romans. For all, all is all, there, just in case you were wondering, um, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. 
The idea there is that every single one of us has missed the mark of God's glory, God's perfection, God's holiness. None of us measure up. And we, we might deceive ourselves into thinking that we're okay because we can look at some other sinner who's missed the mark and go, you know, I'm not as bad as that sinner. But that's not the target. The target is not measuring up to who's, how somebody else lives. The, the target is God the person of Jesus Christ. And when we look to him, there's no question that we've missed the mark. And so that's the concept there. So we have transgression, which is open rebellion against our creator. We have sin, which is missing the mark of God's perfection and glory. And then we have one more word here that we should explore, and it's this. It's found in verse 2. It's the word iniquity. Iniquity. Iniquity is probably the, the strongest of, of the three, and it's, it simply means blatant evil, crookedness, being completely just iniquitous is to be uh, blatantly evil. Now, most of us would probably say, well, I, I don't fit that category. You do, and I do, um, but we, we may think that we don't, again, because we're measuring wrongly. But the truth of the matter is, is I, I think that it's very uh, masterful that David uses these three synonymous terms that have different emphasis because every one of us, um, no matter how deceived we may be of ourselves, can find something in these three that, we, that applies to us. They all apply to us, but we can certainly find one or two that we can say, yeah, okay, I guess, I guess I'm there. That's what, that's what he starts with. But listen, this, as I said before, the emphasis of this psalm is not on how you and I are some dirty, rotten sinners. That's not the emphasis. The first word in the psalm is blessed, joyful. It, the emphasis of this psalm is on the joy that comes from the grace of God in Jesus towards sinners. That, that's the emphasis. It, it's not a psalm that is just uh, expressing how wicked we are. It's expressing how glorious God is in his grace towards us. And that's why he can start with the word joyful. Joyful is the one whose transgression, whose open rebellion is forgiven, whose sin, missing the mark, is covered, and whose iniquity the Lord does not count. Amazing. So let's talk about those, those three words, um, forgiven, covered, and does not count. Now let's talk about what those mean, because I think as we express that's really the the meat of this psalm and and we will see amazing connections here to jesus as we look at these words let's start with the first the first word forgiven david begins by saying that blessed is the one whose transgression whose open rebellion is forgiven that word forgiven literally means to lift up and carry away 
your transgression and my transgression was like a boulder pinning you to the ground that the Lord Jesus came and lifted off of you and carried it away. For- forgiveness is not just a rolling the boulder off of you, it's a lifting of it and completely removing it. Forgiven means that we have our transgressions, our sins, our iniquitous behavior literally taken off of us and removed. That's one. Second, this word covered that's found in the end of verse one. Sin is covered. This has to do with the atonement. This is a word that points back to the Old Testament system of atonement where the blood of a sacrificial animal would cover the sins of the people and restore them to their relationship with God. There was a day of atonement in the calendar of of Israel's history where they would uh, sacrifice a spotless lamb and they would uh, they would, you know, that, that blood, that sacrificial blood from this innocent lamb would cover the sins of the people. But on the Day of Atonement, there was also another animal that wouldn't be killed, but would be removed from the camp, would be scattered away. And this demonstrates the two sides of forgiveness, the covering of sin and the removal of sin. It was all there pointing towards a savior, but that's what the word covered has to do with. It has to do with being having our sin um, atoned for, covered. And then the third word uh, describes not really just what God does, but what God does not do. He does not count iniquity against this person. Now that word does not count. Uh, it's a bookkeeping word. Um, To count something means to charge against uh, an account, right? To charge something against someone's account. It's a bookkeeping word, right? So when you, if if you work in an organization or whatever and you spend money, you have to give an account for how you spent that money by turning in receipts and explaining to the bookkeeper how that money was, was spent and what account that money is to be taken out of. So here's the thing, our sin our sin, our iniquity, our transgression should be counted against us. But the Bible tells us here that, the, that he does not count it against us. He does not apply our iniquity to our account. That's incredible. And in fact, what we see in each of these realities, the forgiveness, the covering, and the not counting that God does towards those who trust him uh, are, are fully and totally fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. Look at just a few examples. In the first one, the forgiveness, lifting up and carrying away our sin, Jesus Christ was literally lifted up off the ground on the cross in order to remove away our transgressions. Jesus was lifted from the earth to to carry away our transgressions. This is what Jesus says in John chapter 12, verse 32. He says, And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, 
will draw all people to myself. See, Jesus was lifted in order to remove our sin. We, we need to re- just realize that it is in Jesus that our sins are removed from us. They're, they're literally taken up and placed upon the cross in the person of Jesus Christ. They were placed upon him as he was lifted up. Secondly, we see in the scriptures that Jesus Christ was the once and for all atoning sacrifice for sin. So this gets at the covering of our sin. Hebrews 9.26 tells us that as it is, Jesus has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. That word put away is the same word that could be translated covered. Right? When, you, when you put something away, you're, you're putting it away, right? You're covering it. You're, you're putting it in a cabinet. You're, you're taking it out of sight. Jesus Christ, we're told, atoned for our sins. Sins, not just one sin, not just one year's worth of sin like the animals of the Old Testament, but all of our sin, once and for all. Jesus never has to die again. He never has to remove your sin again because it's all been covered in his once-for-all sacrifice for sin. We We could just go on and on about that. I mean, Hebrews 9 and 10 just make that case so strongly, but we don't have time to dive into all of it. So Jesus is lifted up to remove our transgressions. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sin to cover us from our sin and pay for it once for all. And then finally, we see that Jesus Christ does not charge our sin to our account, but charges our sin to his. Look at 2 Corinthians 5.21. It says this, "For, For our sake, the Father made Jesus to be sin, though he knew no sin, so that... In him, in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. You see what's being expressed there is this, that we have a, a perfect Savior who, did, who never committed sin, who was not guilty of any of his own sin, but in his death on the cross was made to be sin, to have the sins of every one of us applied to his account And in exchange, he gives us his righteousness. So if you're looking at the books, if you're thinking about this in an accounting kind of way, and I'm a pastor because I'm not good at math, but I do, I understand at least this much. Um, the, The books that would have been used to convict us of wrongdoing have all been charged to the account of Jesus And Jesus' books that had no wrongdoing have all been applied to us. Let that sink in and wrap your head around that. Jesus had no sin, but in his love for you took on all your sin. And though you had nothing but sin, he gives to you his righteousness, his perfection. That, that's what we call a heck of a deal. 
Like, we just have to recognize that. That is an amazing deal. And, and so here we have, all of this is ours through trust in Jesus, through faith in him. But we'll, we'll look at that a little deeper. Initially here, we're just, we've just been in the first two verses. We haven't even gotten to the rest of the psalm yet. Um, but in these first two verses, we have seen that joy is the product of, of the person who has experienced this forgiveness, who has had their sins removed, had their sins covered, and have had their, their account not charged. What else could produce joy beyond that? When we know we're so deserving of condemnation, and yet we know there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. What a deal. But here's the thing. Here's the question we've got to wrap our heads around this morning. It's this question. How in the world do we get in on this? It sounds like a deal, right? A sinner can be forgiven. How in the world do we get in on that? Let's keep looking at the psalm. It says, end of verse 2, in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. David answers the question, how do we get in on this? It is through this. It's through honest confession of sin and through trust in Jesus' perfection for us. Notice the first thing he says after verse 2 or in verse 2. He says, in whose spirit there is no deceit. Th this forgiveness, this covering, this uh, this not counting our sins against us applies to those whose spirit is not deceit, deceit, deceitful, right? Like we, here's the thing. Here's what he's trying to get at. As long as we're hiding in our sin, we will never know the joy that Christ has for us. He, he's telling us that we need to be honest and confess and acknowledge that we actually need him for the forgiveness of our sins. He, he gives us a little bit of his own testimony here in verses 3 and 4. He says, For when I kept silent, in other words, when he wasn't going to admit anything, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day Long For day and night your hand, the Lord's hand, was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. In other words, what he's saying is, is this, that, that not confessing sin is far more exhausting than confession of sin. Hiding your sin, 
denying your sin, refusing to bring it out is exhausting and it's going to, in the end, kill you. He, he's just like, I mean, spiritually speaking, kill you, right? He, he's saying here that his bones were wasting away while he kept silent. He was groaning. All, this is not the picture of a person who's thriving in his life, right? This is depressing. And, and he's saying even further that the Lord's hand was heavy on him. The Lord wasn't leaving him to die in his sin. The Lord was pressing him, pushing him, uh, putting the pressure on him so that he would eventually come to grips with his sin. He says his strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Now this is a, in, in one sense, this is a proof text for why winter is better than summer. Um, but Oh, that's blasphemous. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said that. Uh, I, am, I am not a hot weather person, okay? Because this verse tells me, it's, it's exhausting, right? The heat of summer, it's exhausting. Uh, so most of you know that I, I would rather be wearing a flannel shirt right now than this thing. Um, but it's okay. We'll, we'll get there eventually. But here's the point. He's making the spiritual point that, it was, that hiding his sin was just so devastating to him that it was like he was sapped of all his strength. Just like being in the hot summer sun. So what did he do? It says he acknowledged, I acknowledged my sin to you. I owned it. I did not cover my iniquity. I didn't hide what I had done wrong. He said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. He, he's saying this is, the, this is the route to joy. It is open and honest confession of sin. It is an acknowledgement that you have done wrong and that you need someone to intervene. That someone, of course, is Jesus. Because here's what, there's the result of that. You forgave the iniquity of my sin. As he confessed, and owned it, God forgave. God forgave. So here's what goes on uh, in verse 6. He says, Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at all at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. He's saying here this, that as we openly confess our sin to the Lord, what we find is the forgiveness of sin that then becomes a place of safety. Do you catch that? Okay, so many of us are, are ready and willing to retreat into our sin rather than acknowledge it. Why? Because we're afraid of the consequences. We, we think, we have this, just this warped misunderstanding that if we acknowledge our sin to the Lord, that he will somehow then reject us. That's a lie. It's a lie. That's what our enemy wants us to believe. That if we come to the, here's the ridiculousness about that lie. And, and listen, I'm not ripping on anyone who's believed that because I've believed that. I believe it often, actually. But here is the ridiculousness of that, of, that, of that belief system. 
it is that it's as if the Lord doesn't already know. He already knows. You're not telling him anything he doesn't know. It's, it's like when Adam and Eve first sinned in the garden and God came into the garden and was walking and they heard him and they hid behind some bushes and put some fig leaves on their private parts and whatever. Like as if, A, God didn't make them <laughs> and as if God didn't know where they were hiding. And here's what God does. God comes into that garden and here's the first thing he says, Adam, where are you? Was he asking Adam where he was because he didn't know? Of course not. He was asking Adam where he was so that Adam would own where he was. And that's what confession of sin is. It's where are you? Not because God doesn't know where we are, but because we need to own where we've been. And so, but what David reminds us of is that in Christ, we do not need to fear confession because as we bring it to the Lord through prayer, through expressing our hearts to him, what we see is that the rush of great waters will not reach us. We're safe from the tidal wave. That the Lord actually becomes a hiding place for us and that he preserves us from trouble. And he surrounds us with, with deliverance. Listen, um, we are so prone to run into the bushes and hide when where God wants us to hide in our sin is in him. It, we would all see a lot more progress in the Christian life if we ran to him in our sin rather than from him. Because in him is true safety. In him is true deliverance. In him is true joy. Here's what David goes on to say in verse 8. He says, I will instruct you. Now he's talking to us, to the congregation. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. What he's saying is, is this, listen, I'm going to teach you from my mistakes. I want you to learn what I had to learn the hard way. That's what he's trying to get across. He says, verse 9, Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. What he's saying is, is this, um, we need to stay near to the Lord, we need to stop wandering away. Um, he, he, what he's saying is, is, is don't be a stubborn uh, donkey. We'll go with that because there's kids in the room. That, that's what he's saying. Right? Don't, don't be stubborn. Don't be stubborn. Run to the Lord. Don't be forced with bit and bridle to stay near to him. Willingly be near him. Why? Because he's our hiding place. He's our safety. He's our deliverance. He's our preservation in trouble. It says verse 10, Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but the steadfast love 
of the Lord surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. So, so we, we talked about two ways, two, it's the same coin, but two sides of it, as to getting in on this forgiveness that's offered to us. The first is to confess honestly, but the second is to trust. It's not just, you know, owning our sin. That's the first step, but we have to also trust in the Lord who's steadfast. That word is, again, not one we use a lot. It is, means immovable, unchangeable. Uh, it doesn't shift with time. It's steadfast love for the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord, he says. Rejoice, O righteous. Shout for joy, all you upright in heart. This last verse expresses what results in a person who confesses their need and runs to the one who can meet that need through trust in Christ. The result is this, gladness, rejoicing, shouting for joy. It's worship. It's worship. Worship flows out of us as the forgiveness of Christ is brought to us and applied to us. We, we need to hear that open and honest confession of sin and trust in something specific. We need to trust in the perfect righteousness of Jesus for us. So here's what this means. Um, it means that entering into this kind of relationship with God requires us to say, I am wrong and I'm sorry and I have, I have broken fellowship with the Lord through my actions, my choices, my thoughts, whatever. And then looking to the person of Jesus Christ and saying, I can't live that way. I can't be perfect. I can't be sinless, but he was for me. And I'm going to trust that all of his righteousness is applied to me by my trust and faith in him. It's that, that's the whole picture. It, it is owning what we've done and then turning to the one who is truly perfect, truly righteous, who's willingly and joyfully giving us his perfection. This is our hope. It's reiterated, and I'll read this quickly, in 1 John chapter 1. 1 John 1, verses 7 through 9. Here's what he says. This, this is basically a parallel passage. I don't know if you'll ever find um, a parallel, you know, a marker in your Bible that parallels these two, but they, they're just very similar. Um, look at what John writes. He says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, as God is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just 
to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is, this is exactly what we've been talking about. This is what David is pointing us to. Right? We've been talking for, for weeks now that in, as we read the Old Testament, particularly the Psalms, this is the context we've been talking about this, we, we can't just draw the straight line from David to us. But that's just not how it works. We have to draw a line from, from the psalmist to Jesus. How does Jesus fulfill this psalm? And then from Jesus, we can draw a line to ourselves. We always stand before God through the perfect righteousness of Christ. If we draw a straight line from the Old Testament to me, then, then what will ultimately be believed is that we have to save ourselves through our good works. That's what, that's what comes out. But if we understand that Jesus is the fulfillment of all of these things, then we can draw the line to ourselves from him. And that's what John's doing. John's showing us that walking in the light, which is another way of saying being open and transparent, right? Because what does light do? Light exposes things. It brings things out that you couldn't see. Walking in the light is walking in open, transparent honesty about our sin, and the result of doing that is two things. We'll have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, God's son, will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We will have uh, the forgiveness of sin and we will have restored relationships with each other as we walk in the light. Contrasting that with walking in darkness, which is saying we have no sin and deceiving ourselves. So, so here's, this is the point, right? That the blood of Jesus shed on the cross for you is your only hope to be right with God. And having that applied to you only comes through honest, transparent confession of sin and trust in Jesus' <coughs> Jesus's perfection. And that's it. That's it. That, there's nothing magical about it. There's no, there's no spells that have to be cast. It's just in our hearts, confessing what we need to confess and giving all of our lives to Jesus. And in that, he brings us into his family and unites us with him and gives us a hope and a future. All of this can be applied as we honestly confess our sin. And we don't need to fear that because Jesus is our hiding place and our safety so instead of running into the bushes to hide, we should run to him and be secure and be welcomed home. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you that Jesus, your son, lived the perfect life, died in the place of sinners like me, like everyone in this room, would you help us, God, to, to be real and honest with you today? Would you do the work in our hearts to get us to trust you today? And we pray that as we continue our worship, that what will result is this glad, rejoicing, and shouting for joy in the heart of our lives as we respond to you. And we thank you, God, for all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.